And I'm Rin. And we're here at the Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism in Boston, Massachusetts. And on the internet everywhere, thanks to the power of the podcast. Woohoo! We are not doctors. We're herbalists and holistic health educators. The ideas discussed in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. No state or federal authority licenses herbalists in the U.S., and so these discussions are for educational purposes only. Everyone's body is different, so the things we're talking about may or may not apply directly to you, but they will give you some information to think about and to research further. We want to remind you that good health is your own personal responsibility. The final decision in considering any course of therapy, whether it's discussed on the internet or prescribed by your physician, is always yours. Yep. It's true every time. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> and actually, you know, that's a nice lead-in to today to this week's topic of how to not be a guru. Yes. Yes. And just, you know, keeping that right in, in mind that the people that we're working with don't have to do what we say. Yeah. It's, it's your decision. It's not my decision. I've got some advice. Might be good. Yeah. Yeah. That's where we want to be. That's where we want to be. So we, you know, we originally recorded this episode for the Herb Rally podcast, and we just wanted to have this material here too. Well, first, because we think it's really important. Actually, and secondly, because we think it's really important. Yeah. <laughs> and then thirdly. Um, well, this week, Rin is going to be off in Mexico doing a MoveNat course. Speaking of not being a guru. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to be here in Boston editing an enormous bucket full of new videos that we filmed for you in the past two weeks. And Wow. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I think almost every course is getting new videos uh, by the by the time that you get back. I think so. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Yeah. So while that's happening, um, we hope you enjoy this episode. It's something that we really like to revisit regularly, and we hope that it'll be useful for you, too. So at our school, we love to write things on the walls. It's a way that we like to remember things that are important, but that are also easy to forget, so it's important to repeat them a lot. One of my favorite things that we have written up there is, um, uh, pain is a signal to change your behavior, which yeah. is a quote from our friend Tammy Sweet, who is a great herbalist in Ithaca, New York. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, by the way, this is like contact paper. That's on the walls. Yeah, it's, yeah. We turned all of our walls into whiteboard. We we're yeah. not really writing right on the walls. Yeah, just, just for the for the record. But um, no, you know, no crayons. No, yeah, that could be cool. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that we wrote on the walls and that we frequently remind our students, especially when they're just getting started with us, is this idea that everyone is trying to convince you that their way is right. And that's true in advertising, that's true in politics, it's true in fandom, it's true in all different kinds of tribalism. And the thing is that it's also true in herbalism. Yeah. And it's something that we need to be aware of and we need to be thoughtful and, and finding the places where we're trying to convince other people that our way is right. And that means that those other people are wrong and... That's that's something that can get you into a little bit of trouble. Yeah. So it's really it's really important to say that, you know, the stuff that we know is our experience and it's what's worked for us and it might be right for you or it might be the starting point for you to find what's right for you. Yeah. And so in that vein, we also write all over the walls and we say all the time that you should never believe anything we say. You have to feel it in your own body to know that it's real for you and that it's right for you. And that doesn't mean that, like, we're lying or that we're not giving good information. It's just um, a reminder that we like to give all the time for our students to, to make sure that they understand that we understand and we want them to understand. We want everybody to be really clear that the the knowledge that we have and the information that we have is through the, the lens of our own experience. And it might not fit with every body and with every experience. So it's a starting point. It's a, it's a place to build from. Yeah. And we try to be upfront and we try to be explicit about it because we know that it's very easy to slip back into trying to convince people that our way is right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something that it's, you, can, you can push back on it. You can 
try to uh, change the way you speak and the way you present things in order to, to counterbalance that, but it's something that continually reasserts itself, so you have to kind of kind of be on guard. And you know, it's, it's like humans just have this tendency towards dogma. Yeah. And you have to fight it. Yeah. And you know, the the need to to emphasize this is something that seems to have become increasingly acute or maybe it's just that people are waking up and realizing that this is this is an issue and that there are some some consequences to this. So we wanted to share some thoughts around uh, one major contributing factor to that or one way that that plays out uh, that we call how to not be a guru. <laughs> so um, part of what got us thinking about this was that in just the last year, you know, we've seen like at least a half dozen different instances of herbalists in the you know United States uh, herbal community being called out in public, usually on Facebook or social yeah. media. Which is not ideal, but right. that's there's, its own separate podcast. Yeah, there's, a, there's issues with that sort of venue. But, but being called out for bad behavior, ranging from things that was clearly just a matter of, of ineptitude or you know, uh, poor social skills, uh, but over to other things that were, as far as we can tell from Facebook, were abusive or were even potentially criminal in nature. And so this this is something that I've seen a lot of people calling out and saying, all right, herbal community, uh, to the extent that we exist and we have one, we need to start taking this kind of thing seriously. So one of our other favorite phrases that we wrote on the walls was, things are complex and there are always many factors. And that's certainly true here. But... And, and I would even say, just to cut you off, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. But I would even say that one of the complex factors is that nobody is out in the world trying to, like, no herbalist is out there trying to hurt people. And no herbalist is out there trying to, like, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to, you know, make life miserable for the people. And, like, no. It's, sometimes things happen just because of a series of complex factors and it doesn't make it okay, but I don't want it to sound like, you know, we think anybody's malicious. That's, that's not it either. It's just something that we need to think about, about how are we putting ourselves out there and are we doing that with integrity? Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, so there's always a lot of things that are going to contribute, but we would argue that one of the primary contributors to this, to this kind of situation is the guru image. And, so just to do a little definition here, right? So what is a guru? Well, the kind of def dictionary definition or the kind of standard definition, the way people mostly use this term in common speech nowadays, is uh, to mean just an influential teacher or a popular expert. Like you might say, Mark Sisson is a paleo guru. And, you know, people don't assume that means that he's got... Uh, like a retreat center and, and people with uniforms and, you know, <laughs> all of that kind of thing necessarily. Uh, we mean it in a kind of a lower key situation. But there's another way that we can use that term in the way that we're, we're thinking of it today. And so for our purposes, a definition would be more like a guru is someone who has, or at least claims to have, unique knowledge or skill and who acts as a gatekeeper for access to it uh, somebody who makes decisions about who is allowed to learn and who's not allowed to learn that that skill or that information um, by defining what hoops they have to jump through to prove themselves deserving of being taught. So, you know, there's a lot of layers to that. There's a lot of, like, criteria that are that are uh, uh, wound up in that. Um, but this is, this is probably going to sound kind of familiar to you. You may have encountered people like this in your own life, um, or certainly there's plenty of examples of, of people um, operating in this way. You know, of course, the more extreme expressions are where it's an actual cult situation. Um, and I would just point out from my own life experience that that is not actually an uncommon thing. Yeah. And it doesn't always look the way that you think it does. And uh, one thing that a lot of cults seem to be into these days is loudly proclaiming that they are not a cult and that they <laughs> don't have a guru and that... Um, and that kind of thing when it turns out, in fact, that they're just recapitulating all of those same structures and trying to label it something else. And it's not like when we hear the word cult, we think religion, but, right. Um, right. you know, in, in this case, it was a martial arts context and it can, it's, it's 
it, it's so much more frequent that it happens around like a skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're not looking for it because it's like, well, this isn't a church, you know, but that's right. Uh, yeah. And, you know, the other part of this, too, is that um, sometimes people start to, to move or to shift over into adopting that guru image without really noticing it at first. Like, it, I'm not sure if we want to call it exactly a slippery slope or, like, more like boiling the frog sort of situation yeah. where there's, like, slow degrees of change and then suddenly you you wake up one day and you can't see the fact that this, is, this has occurred. I think a lot of that is that, you know, we were saying that we tell our students you shouldn't believe anything we say. And we say that a lot. We definitely say that, like, at least in every class. Um, but... But the truth is that actually we're really saying that for ourselves. I think that's where that slippery soap starts is that when you start to believe as an herbalist that you have the one right answer mm-hmm. and um, there's, it's really easy to fall into that. It's really easy to say, you know, well, antibiotics are bad for this one situation. You should never have antibiotics in an ear infection. And that may be true, but then it can it can be like you can fall down eventually that way of thinking like well antibiotics are always bad or pharmaceuticals are always bad and especially as herbalists when we work with other people we're often working with people who have had really bad experiences with other um health health providers and um so so we see a lot of the bad stuff, and then we might get to thinking that it's always like that. Um, and so that I think that a lot of this happens a lot of times just because we forget to remind ourselves that we're not, we're not always right. We don't necessarily have all the right answers, and we shouldn't believe everything we think. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we're also not saying that as a teacher you have to give away everything you know to anybody who comes along. You know, there's there's definitely a space for saying there's some things that I that I know or that I or that I can teach, but I require certain things of my students before uh, before I'm going to offer that. That's fine. But when those kind of kind of like hoops to jump through start to look more like like submission or renunciation of all others, or like you will you will only take instruction from me or, or that kind of thing, or or this idea of I'm going to pass along a uh, a unique experience or a unique initiation to you, and now you've been imbued with this thing that only I can give, and now you've like you've like solidified or you've reified a, a kind of a power dynamic or a kind of kind of relationship there. And this is the basic problem: is that in in the course of you know, this guru image being generated or somebody adopting it or, like, allowing somebody else to ascribe it to them. Um, uh, and then to, you know, as often often happens, uh, once you start to enjoy the privileges of something like that, <laughs> you want to defend them. But what happens is that this this image or this this perspective, it inhibits accountability and it, it institutes these power over dynamics pretty much by default. You know, it's it's... It's something that just uh, just happens once people start to get into this relationship of you are a totally different class of being and you have access to worlds and information and experiences that nobody else does and if I want them then I pretty much just need to put up with whatever you ask for or whatever you say or whatever you do. And because people crave that knowledge or crave that experience or that way of being in the world then they're quite willing to put aside their feelings of discomfort or their their uncertainties or whatever else in order to, to get what's being promised. And also I think because in a lot of areas there there um, may only be one or two options for, for people to study with. So they're like, right. well, I want to get this information and this is the only school I know about. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. And again, like, this is not something that it's not like every herb teacher out in the world is doing this. It's just that more and more, as we look at our own privilege, as we look at the power structures and the inst- systemic 
the institutions that are part of our system right now and we think about how can we change those and how can we build a better system that is a place that we all want to live in that that this is something that doesn't need to be extreme to be a problem like Mm -hmm. it can happen to anyone and it can happen just on tuesday Mm -hmm. like you can just sort of get to thinking, wow, I really know my shit. And, <laughs> and then, like, you can kind of realize, you know, a couple days later, like, oops, I was kind of on a, I was kind of on a high horse there for a minute. And, mm. and that doesn't make an herb teacher a bad person. Um, it is, it, it is a, like an occupational hazard that when you are in a, per, when you're a person who has a lot of knowledge, um, then like it can be real easy to get on that high horse or real easy for people to bring you that high horse and ask you to get on it. Well, well, right. Yeah. Because it, you know, it's, if you're, if you're doing this kind of work, you're going to change people's lives. You may save people's lives and that (laughs) it's, it's very easy to start. I mean, you should feel pride. That's totally fair. Um, but it's very easy for that to to start to shift over into this other thing. And, and you'll see people who have been really hurt by other experiences that they've had. And that will make you mad. And it will make you want to protect um, other people from having that experience. And, and that's not a bad thing either. But again, there's a high horse that comes along with that. And you like you got to just resist the temptation to, to get on it. Yeah. So you might you might feel like you don't have to worry about it, especially if you're new to teaching or consulting or you know just being an herbalist in the world. But what we want to bring forward here is that you have to actively work to counteract this guru guruification uh, <laughs> tendency. Or another way to say that is you have to actively work to create the balance of power that you want to see in the world, Mm -hmm. which means actively working to counteract disproportionate power structures and instead to enact or to create um, power structures that serve everyone, the student and the teacher, so that everyone is on an equal playing field, even though the teacher may know more about herbalism, we still want to make sure that we're creating a system in which everyone is equal, everyone is fair, everyone has equal access, and nobody is put in the position of, you know, above. Mm-hmm. So some thoughts on how to accomplish that. Um, so first, we think the most important thing is to stay within your integrity. And in order to do that, you need to be able to recognize when you're standing in your integrity yeah. and what that feels like and how how it feels when you start to get a little towards the edge or maybe oops I started to get really into what I was saying and wandered off <laughs> wandered off the cliff there um, so whether you figure your integrity as your scope of practice or as you know that that good old standard of first do no harm um, or or some other metric. Uh, you need to be able to recognize when what you're saying, what you're presenting, what you're offering is coming from from that place of your own integrity. Or and your it, own experience. Right. It's another way to say that. Yeah, I was going to say, it doesn't mean you have to be right all the time, because you're not going to be. Yeah. <laughs> and if you start thinking you are, that's also a way to, to end up as a guru. Um, but to be able to say, I believe what I'm saying. I believe I have good reasons for saying it, and I can explain what those are to you, and it's it's not a black box over here. Yeah. Right? It's, a, it's a more transparent kind of a situation. I think that our culture um, our culture really values words like master, and mm-hmm. you know, values certification, and um, and so that's a trap to really fall into, and that's Um, that's where I think the pressure comes to kind of branch out and, oh, I have to know an answer. I have to give an answer for every question. Even if I feel uncomfortable and I'm not sure that I know it, like if I don't answer the question, then I must not be a good herbalist. And that's just plain not true. If you can't answer the question, then it's just a question you didn't know the answer to. It doesn't make you not a good herbalist at all. I like to tell people that if you only know four herbs if all you knew was like plantain and calendula and mint and ginger 
you could do so much work with those four herbs and that's valid stuff to teach and even if you had to say I don't know to 90% of the questions that got asked but what you did know was those four plants heck even if all you knew in the world was chamomile but you really knew it well you all like you could do tons of amazing valid important work and the fact that our society expects that people who are um, who are knowledgeable about health issues are somehow supposed to know the answer to every single question. Yeah. Um, first off, that's completely unreasonable. But second, it does set up this system where we can feel pressure like, oh, I guess I do have to know every answer. And you just don't. Mm-hmm. If the only answer you have is chamomile, and somebody asks a question, and you don't think maybe, you don't have any idea if chamomile is the answer to that question, you can say, well, you know, I'm not sure I know about that. What I know about is chamomile, and I can't see any reason not to try chamomile for that situation, but I don't have any way to know for sure that it would work either. That's a valid, that's a valid answer. That's legit. That's within your integrity, and that's also a legitimate answer. Yeah. One of the things we really stress with our students who are, you know, they're in our second year, they're, they're thinking about going into practice is you have got to get comfortable saying, I don't know. Like saying, I don't know, you should be enthusiastic about that, right? Yeah. Because that's an opportunity to learn something or to, to you know, see how a strategy or a nerve is going to play out in a new situation. So that's that's good news. Um is the is the perspective that we try to adopt, but it's it's super important to be able to say that freely and comfortably and in public and to people who are who are trying to make you an authority figure. Um, yeah. you, you need to be super solid in that in that capacity. Also, every time that you do it, you are creating the world that that is a, a fairer and more just place. Because every time that you say. I don't know that answer. Mm -hmm. You're making that a valid response in a world that doesn't want that to be a valid response right now. Um, So it's like modeling good behavior. Yeah. Okay. So kind of tied right up next to that is is to make this effort to don't think of yourself as a final authority, right? Any authority that you may have extends only as far as your knowledge, your experience, your your integrity, and that's always going to be incomplete, especially in a field like medicine at large or herbal medicine where things change a lot, where things are complex, where... where we, we don't understand things even that we think we understand, and then next year we get new data and we're like, oh, yeah. look, it turns out. Right, yeah, where, where claims are going to swing back and forth, you know, where... Um, we can where we one of the one of the like principles is that things are going to change that this generation is going to have problems that the last generation didn't and you know that we can get information from thousand year old books but we can't just apply it wholesale to today because the whole environment is different the food environment the the environment environment you know yeah. like, um, things change so so the effort here is to really not think of yourself as as an authority at all you know like all of the connotations and assumptions that that we put onto that onto that term or that title you know even if you are an actual expert you've been studying this for a long time you've been practicing for 20 years um if you consider yourself as an authority that again that institutes this kind of power dynamic where you're you're above you're over it's better instead to try and consider yourself as a person who's been studying for 20 years or has had a lot of client experience or whatever is the reality of, of, your, of your knowledge or of your situation or of your, yeah. of your status. Um, I, I think that in that regard, it's really important to remember that no matter how long you've been doing this, there are going to be people who have other experiences. And because of that, they're going to know things that you don't. And I think as a teacher, it's super important to recognize that that is true of every single student, even on day one. Mm-hmm. Every student, the, the very minute that they walk through the door, they already know things that you don't know. Nobody is coming to us. Um, nobody comes to our school. Nobody goes to any herb school as an empty vessel just waiting to be filled with knowledge and wisdom. 
They might not know much about herbalism, but they know a lot about a lot of other things. And the things that I can share about herbalism with them, it's just part of their experience. It's just part of their problem-solving set. And they may have some really um, important experiences that will make them able to think about what I know and apply it in completely different circumstances where I may not be able to apply it. Or it might enable them to think about the things that I share and say, you know, actually I have a really different perspective on that. Mm -hmm. And I might not be able to see that perspective from my vantage point with my experiences, but when that gets shared with me, then that's pretty amazing. And I don't know. Like we learn so much from our students. Yeah, and I mean, recognizing that they have that uh, already when they show up, that that spurs you to to look for it and to ask for feedback and to ask for experiences or somebody else's you know knowledge to to contribute to what's happening in in the classroom or even in the client session. And the times when you can you can draw that out from somebody that's usually a time when they start to get really excited and feel really engaged and like, wow, you know, they're making connections to other things in their life or family traditions or whatever else it might be coming from. Those are some really good moments for that student, for, for you, you're learning something. And for the other people who may be in a classroom situation, they're, again, they're seeing you have that humility or have that that interest even mm. to, to say oh wow really I didn't think of it that way or mm, I never used hibiscus like that or wow yeah yeah so, yeah um, so the next thing here is that um, it's also really important to be clear about your limitations so when when we teach we try to be really clear first of all about what we're teaching from are we teaching from documented tradition Um, Are we teaching from direct experience? Frankly, are we teaching from wild conjecture? Sometimes the answer to that is yes. Sometimes somebody asks a question, and it's an interesting question that we don't know the answer to. And so we say, I don't know that answer, but let's take a few minutes and see if we can puzzle it out. Mm -hmm. So let's make some wild conjecture and see if we can get the logic together and come up with a hypothesis to that question, and then we can all go out and test it. That's often very helpful because part of what you're doing there, again, in a, in a, like a classroom or a teaching setting, is you're demonstrating the thought process you use to try to learn new information and to solve new problems. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I feel like if, if I can... I feel like that's the most important thing I can teach my students because I can't go through every problem they're ever going to encounter and every disease state and every, you know, herb or whatever, like, it's just not possible because there's too much to cover. It's, you can never get to all of it. So the, the most important thing we can teach is here's how to think through the question. Here's how to find your way to what's the resource that's going to help me out uh, or what are the kinds of hypotheses I would need to test to know if this was really um, a viable solution. So, so that's really valuable for now we've got lots of different reasons why why that can be helpful but but again the key is to be clear and to say you know I don't actually have any idea but it makes me think of this and I would want to know that and these are the places I would go digging for the answer um, and just to be super clear that the the frame you're working in then is uncertainty and conjecture and theory formation and, and so on and and like you were saying to be clear when it's when it's not that, when it's, I've actually done this, I've seen this work, I've got this many case, case files that I can point you at where we went from A to B, or here's a bunch of research studies that, that we can point at, or some lab tests or whatever else. Or even, here's my experience from my own body. Yeah. Here's how it played out for me. That's yeah. good too. Yeah. And as long as you're clear about those things, then the students understand that what you're saying or what you're claiming uh, isn't just an, uh, a, an eternal truth that floats in the ether and that you grabbed from the heavens and pulled down for them, um, but they understand where you're coming from and why you're saying that. Mm-hmm. And that's at least as important as what it is you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, another thing here is to just be really clear about your own faults. 
Mm-hmm. I have a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's important to be clear about those with yourself and also with your students. And again, like we live in a culture that says that if you're an expert, you, you can't really be flawed. Um, but the reality is we are flawed. You can be a hero and be flawed. Like, you have to be flawed. You're human. <laughs> That's the only way. And so, like, making mistakes, having faults, having character flaws in general, that is, that's just part of you. And, and frankly, you know, a lot, of, a lot of things that we consider character flaws, if you look at them from the other side, they're actually benefits. It's just that you have to know when to apply it to have it be a benefit mm-hmm. and when to make sure that it doesn't, like, poke its head out as a fault, you know? So, so a, lot of the, a, lot of, a lot of what we teach um, is not just around herbs, but also food and movement and stress management and all the different factors in holistic herbalism, which means that we spend a lot of time telling our students that they shouldn't eat sugar and that they should get enough sleep and that um, instead of distraction, they should seek relaxation. And um, so what that means is that we have to be really honest about the fact that I made a cake yesterday and I ate it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and sure, it was gluten-free and dairy-free, but you guys, it was still a cake. Yeah. And, and or, that, or that, yeah, you know, today, today we're going to do our class on sleep and we're going to talk about a bunch of herbs that are good for it. And, you know, really, humans need eight and a half to nine and a half hours of sleep every single night. And that's also the time when I say, and listen, you guys, I went to bed at 2 a.m. last night and I've done that this whole week. Because that's a habit I keep falling into. And, you know, I, I teach about these strategies because they're things that I really need to remind myself about <laughs> um, so that I'll do them in my own life, right? So we try to be super active in displaying our imperfections. It's not just that we don't stand up there and say, I am perfect and I always eat this way and I always sleep 10 hours a night and I always meditate and this and that. It's not. Th- it's not just to not make false claims, which those would be, but to actively display your imperfections. It's really, it's, it's empowering for a student if you do that, because, um, you know, I've, I've been eating gluten-free and dairy-free for 15 years, and I don't ever cheat. And if that's all you knew about me, you might sit there and say, well, that's good for you, but I could never do that. I'm not like you. And that's not true. It's not that it isn't hard for me. It's just that the symptoms are so crappy that I'm not willing to cheat. But you guys, I cheat on sugar all the time. And it's if a student knows that it's a struggle for me, and then we talk about how do I try to manage that struggle, and we all talk about that together, and we can sit around together talking about the struggles that we each have and ways to try to manage those struggles then we're all better practitioners because now we're preparing ourselves to deal with what other people are having challenges with. And sometimes the things that are challenging to someone else are not challenging to me. But if I can remember that there are things that are challenging to me, then I can employ the same types of skills. It is not challenging for me to make a pot of tea in a day. That's a thing I do multiple times a day. But for someone who's just starting out in herbalism, or for a new client, for example, that might be very difficult for them. And so if we all spend a lot of time talking about what things are difficult for us and how we can try to overcome that, and sometimes just being flat out honest, like, you guys, I don't want to overcome it. I just want to eat the cake today. (laughs) Then it gives us so much more compassion and so much more creativity and so many more tools to work with other people who are just starting their journey with herbalism and helping them to get healthier in their own lives. So it's not just about, like, I'm going to stand up and give you the list of my faults today so that you don't think I'm perfect. It's also an empowerment. It's a, it's a teaching tool. It's a community discussion tool. It's, it's really good stuff. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, so everybody's got imperfections. Not everybody has the same ones. Some of them are going to be more compatible with a particular student than another. And that's true also about your teaching style and your way of presenting information and the kind of information you're interested in and share. 
And so what this all means is that it's really important to encourage your students to learn from multiple different teachers because you don't have all the answers. No one has all the answers. And even if you did have all the answers, you might not say them in exactly the best way for that student to like really assimilate that and and be able to think it through for themselves. Yeah. So not not every student learns the best from from every teacher. And so, you know, in a field like herbalism, you've got to explore, you've got to see a lot of different perspectives if you're ever going to find your own center. Um, if uh, <laughs> if you can't see the whole field uh, or the whole forest, I guess, then you're going to get stuck just with the tree that's right in front of you. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, again, especially when people um, have limited access to a variety of, of herbal perspectives or herbal voices, um, that can that can become a real problem. Nowadays, there's this thing called the internet, and so it's <laughs> a lot easier for people to learn from many different teachers in different formats. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and we really we always try to refer to a teacher who taught us something if we're passing that forward. Like, oh yeah, Jim McDonald taught me this thing, and I want to tell you about it, or whatever it was, right? Um, but also to say like. Here is a bunch of different places that you can get another herbalist's podcast, or you can get their recorded teachings, or you can read what people have said. Here's a bunch of video places to check it out. We try to offer as much of that as possible, um, rather than saying, I'm going to teach you how to use herbs for the cardiovascular system. And after you've taken this class, you've learned all there is to know. (laughs) Right? Um, I love it when I can share somebody's class that's on like as close to the same material that I'm teaching as possible, because that's going to give my students a really, um, a really different perspective. Yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, it's just a fact with herbalism that if you get three herbalists in a room and you ask a question, you should expect at least five answers. Um, <laughs> that's just the way a lot of the material we work with is going to go. So it's, I think that a lot of this is coming from a perspective again in our culture that that there's like a zero sum game out there and that we're competing for business and and whatever and that's that's not the way um we have a hashtag that we like to use on social media that is uh, community not competition and actually i first saw that because your sister was um using that hashtag about the wedding photography community in Arizona that she's a a part of. (laughs) And um, I thought that was really beautiful. And, and I think that it's something that as herbalists, we really need to embrace that, that not only are we not competing with each other, but the reality is that students need all of us. They need all the different teachers with all the different perspectives, including the perspectives that conflict because because when we're talking about herbs, we're speaking from personal relationships and personal experiences. And just like you know from your own personal relationships with humans, uh, your feelings about a particular person and someone else's feelings about a particular person may not match entirely. Who's right? It's hard to know. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Seven Song gives this example all the time. And it's it's really a perfect illustration here. Seven Song is, if you don't know him, he's an herbalist in Ithaca, um, the um, Northeast... Northeast School of Botanical Medicine. Yes. Yeah. And he talks a lot about skullcap as being an absolutely indispensable herb in his herbal practice. Despite the fact that when he takes it, he notices zero effect whatsoever. He's like, it might as well be a sugar capsule. It has, not a capsule, but I just made that up. He says, uh, I can't remember exactly how he says it, but at any rate, that it has zero effect on his body is what it comes down to. But that in his work with clients, the plant has been so effective that even though it has zero effect in his body, he cannot practice without it. It's one of his most important plants. And I think that's a perfect example of the need for multiple teachers because because like that's a micro scale example of this, but not every teacher is gonna have 
the same type of reaction that you're going to have to every plant out there or to every situation out there. You have to see a lot of different ways of dealing with things and a lot of different ways of working with plants so that you can find your own center and know how you work with plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, so we, we want to encourage our students to have have access to or have interest in multiple teachers, multiple perspectives. Um, we also, as practitioners and teachers, we need to have relationships with other herbalists who are doing mm-hmm. that same kind of work in order for us to get some accountability from our peers. Um, so Katya and I really love this series of books by Terry Pratchett. Um, it's the Tiffany Aching series. It's like in the, the Discworld universe, but it's about this um, young girl who becomes a witch and <laughs> learns that most of witchery is more to do with taking care of old people and feeding them and trimming their toenails um, <laughs> than it is with casting spells. Um, but there's a lot of really great stuff in that in that series for for herbalists, for healthcare providers of all types. Yeah, he calls them witches, but he's really talking about herbalists. You know, <laughs> it's really it's beautiful. Yeah, but um, one of the things that that the the witch community in these books does is um, they make sure to meet up and to spend some time together at least once a year, uh, so that nobody goes cackling. And cackling is when a witch has started to decide that she knows what's best for her steading and the people in it, and she's just going to start making things happen instead of uh, figuring out what people actually need and, and mm. providing that when they ask. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so anybody can go cackling, and the, the easiest way to avoid that is to spend time with others, um, especially if they'll push back on you a little bit, if they'll give you a bit of a challenge now and again. Yeah. And, you know, this is a, it's a thing that I think a lot of herbalists are doing now through social media. I've seen really great conversations happen there. I've also seen people get into arguments that were really unnecessary and just came down, just came down to a a miscommunication or like digging in and, and deciding that you knew what somebody else thought in advance. So that is, that is quite fraught. Um, you know, I think it's Im- important, if possible, to meet people face to face because that just changes our behavior it does. You know, as humans. Um, and for us, you know, one of the big like community days or community times here in Boston is is the Herbstock Conference. So Herbstock is a, a yearly conference that's just local. It's it's uh, in the Northeast or centered around Boston, and um, uh, it's. It's great because we go there and suddenly it's like, oh, there's the community. Like yeah. we don't we don't see every other herbalist in a, a hundred mile radius every day or every and every month, but once a year, like there they all are. Everybody's there, and yeah. you know, there's the ones that we really really love and the ones that we get along with, and everything <laughs> in between, right? So, <laughs> so it's it's nice to have that for a little period of time, and um, you know, but even the herbalists that you don't get along with. They're important because, again, everybody speaks a slightly different language. Even if we're all speaking English, it's not really the same. Every single one of us had a different relationship with our mother. And so when you say the word mother, it's going to mean something to you, and it might mean something really different to somebody else just based on the relationship they had with their own mom. And so if it can... Same thing when you say mother wart. (laughs) Right, because if it can be... If, it, if there can be that degree of variability with such a fundamental word, then all the other words are susceptible to that degree of variability, too. Mm-hmm. So even an herbalist that you disagree with and you don't maybe get along with very well and you kind of have to make yourself smile when you see them in person, that that herbalist is still really valuable in the community because... They speak a different language than you do. And that might be part of the reason that you don't get along very well, but it is mm-hmm. also the exact reason why they are valuable because they're going to be able to talk to people who you are not going to be able to speak very effectively to or to teach very effectively. So so it's important. It's important that we are a community and that we are recognizing that all of us are important, even if we don't do things the same way. But in fact, especially because we don't do things the same way. Yeah. 
Alright, so we try to get accountability from our peers, but we can also find ways to be accountable to our students or our clients. And so we try to be genuinely open to critique and to pushback. And there's lots of different ways to engage in that. You know, um, one one way that we try to do it is we have a, a test we give to one of our student groups every year, and we include, you know, a bunch of um, examples and scenarios and some short answer and then some essay questions. And our last essay question is, tell us about an area in which you disagree with us, because we'd love to hear that. And, yeah. you know, these are students who've been with us for two years and they've done a lot of work and a lot of projects and they've certainly had time for us to indoctrinate them if we were going to do that, <laughs> right? <laughs> if we were trying to. But we we want to know, like, okay, you've been with us this long. Is there something that, that you think we're wrong about? Yeah. Um, Another way that we like to approach that is, again, just by making sure that at least once every class we say you should never believe anything we say and after a while it just gets sort of comical because you know after a while repeating something enough times gets funny but that's an open invitation so that if a student doesn't agree with something or if we said something and it came out wrong or you know whatever else that they don't have to feel afraid to stand up and say hold on a second I'm not sure that's right or that doesn't resonate with my experience. And they don't have to feel like if they say that they're going to get in trouble mm -hmm. because we have already opened the door and said, we're not necessarily right. And making space in every class, and you don't have to do it the way that we do it, but in whatever way you do, making space in every class setting for a student to say, hold on a second, I'm really not okay with what you just said, is really important Partially because um, being a student feeling comfortable to do that means that they will do it. And if it was just a misunderstanding, you have a good chance to fix it right then. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it wasn't just a misunderstanding. Sometimes what if you're wrong? Sometimes what if we're wrong? Like having a student empowered to say that right up front and point out places where we need to be thinking more deeply about something that maybe we've been taking for granted mm -hmm. That's tremendously valuable. And being able to do that in a positive way, in an affirming way, in an empowering way, means that we grow as a community instead of that there's like these negative feelings and, mm. um, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, you know, there's lots of different ways to go about this. You have to find the way that works for you and for your students or the individual um, that you're communicating with. Some people like a very formal accountability process with mediators and ground rules and, you know, the whole nine yards. Um, other people feel like it's more authentic to sit down for a one-on-one -on -one conversation. But just be aware that what's comfortable for you or, or feels like it would be the best thing to you, it, it may not be the best in all circumstances or for all people. So you got to be not just asking for feedback, but... How do you like your feedback? You know, mm. um, that's one of the things we also try to to do with our students when they're when they're new with us is to say like, so you know, there's going to be times when I'm going to want to give you some feedback on your work. How do you how do you want to hear that? Do you want to do it in text? Do you want to schedule a time to talk in person? Um, you know, what's gonna what's gonna make this most effective for you? Um, and also, you have to share the way it works for you as well, which. If you haven't thought about it yet, then that's that's a homework assignment. Yeah. Say like, okay, well, how do I actually best respond to so-called constructive criticism, right? right. Uh, because there's going to be some formats or some ways of presentation that just turn you off and put you in a defensive posture. And if you can recognize that that happens, then you can start to unwind it. Um, but you can also say, you know what, this method is way more effective for me. Right. And the more you can provide that for somebody, the more you can, again, even just model the, the work of figuring that out, um, the more successful all these interactions are going to be. Yeah. And then also recognizing that students have different comfort zones, too. One student may feel really comfortable just raising their hand and stopping class and saying, hold on a second, that's not okay, or that doesn't jive, or I don't understand, or I'm not sure you're right. But another student may be too shy to do that or may feel uncomfortable doing that. And so making, making sure that you have both a right-in-the-moment, immediate 
kind of accessibility, but also a one-on-one more private accessibility will allow you to accommodate different students' comfort levels. Mm -hmm. So you can still get the feedback in the way that you're most comfortable, just as long as you're thinking about... um, how would I receive? How would I be comfortable receiving feedback from a student right in the moment that might be public versus how would I be comfortable receiving receiving feedback from a student who would prefer to give that privately? Yeah, you know? yeah. All right. So uh, you know, folks, we're not claiming to be gurus in the art of not being a guru. <laughs> <laughs> so please, if you have experiences or good ideas uh, in this vein, we'd, we'd love to hear them. Um, and if you disagree with stuff we've said here or think we've, you know, got something a little a little shaken out. Or if we missed something. Yeah. Then, we'd, we'd, again, we'd love to hear that. We're open to respectful dialogue and we want to we wanna get more voices into this conversation. Um, we figured this, this little podcast today would just be a way to plant a seed or to, you know, get a little little more movement on something that, like I said, I already see people thinking and, and talking and sharing about this, so we wanted to contribute to that conversation. Um, if you do want to reach out to us, uh, you can find us uh, online. We're the Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism. We're out there on Facebook and Instagram, and our website's commonwealthherbs.com, so if you do want to uh, speak back or just say hi, then we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. The most important thing is just to remember that as as herbal teachers, as teachers of herbalism, our work is about empowering students to take the stuff that we've learned along the way and mix it up with all the stuff that they already know and the stuff that they're going to learn along their way and have them take it out into the world because the bottom line is the reason that we teach people herbalism is so that there will be more herbalists. Mm -hmm. And it's not a competition, it's a community. And so when we are thinking about these things in a positive way and in a proactive way, then that that it builds a more supportive community and we we can be sort of pre-programming ourselves that if we're thinking about it and then someone comes to us and says hey this thing we've already been thinking about it and so we can say oh goodness that was something I missed when I was thinking about it it just puts everything in a more positive um, and constructive kind of way and that's that's what we want in our community yeah Okay, well, thanks for listening. We hope this was helpful, and we'll see you around. Bye-bye.